0: All right, well, hey, let's, uh, let's jump into God's word uh, together this morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter two. As you know, we're in Advent right now. And so every year we pause to celebrate and recognize Advent, which is the four Sundays before Christmas. And we're going to be thinking about why did Jesus come and become a human being? And what did he accomplish? And what was the purpose of that? And this season for our Advent series, we're really zoning in on Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. We're, we're taking time actually to, to really dig into what this verse means. It says this, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters, you and me, in every respect— so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. What the Bible is saying is Jesus became like you in me in every single way. And he had to do that in order to be our savior. And so what we're doing is just taking selected passages out of the book of Hebrews all right, throughout the entire book to answer this question of why. Why? Why did Jesus have to become like us in every way? Last week, we studied uh, chapter one, verses one to three, and we learned that one of the reasons Jesus became like us in every way is so that he could show us an exact imprint of who God is. That if we wanna know who God is, what his character is, what his personality is, how he acts, how he behaves, that we simply look to Jesus, and Jesus gives us a complete picture of who God is, because Jesus is God himself. And I'm just curious, you know, last week we, we gave you an Advent devotional to do throughout the week, look just like this, and you have another one for this week that we'll talk about. But in this Advent devotional, I just gave you some scriptures that was a picture of Jesus and how he lived and acted and treated people, and just wanted you to ask the question, is this my impression of who God is? When I think of God's character, when I think of his attitude, when I think of his personality, does it match what I'm reading here about Jesus? And I'm curious how that time was this week, studying through those scriptures, and this week, as we dig into our next passage, I think we're going to continue to look at things and see things that's going to challenge maybe our impression of who God is and what God is like. I want to ask as we jump in, if I were to ask you to define the gospel, what would you say? If I were to say, what is the gospel, what would be the the simplest answer? And I think most people would correctly answer that question by saying the gospel is the good news that, that Jesus came to us to save us from our sin, to rescue us, reconcile us back to God Because he's redeeming us from our sin. And that is true. That is the correct answer. But I think sometimes there's a nuance in there that we don't quite often recognize. One of the things that we say all the time here is that um, because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, all of us are battered and complicit in that fallen world right? We're battered in the sense that we live in a broken world. So we're going to have a hard experience here. People will sin against us. We'll experience disease and heartbreak and sadness and anger and hurt and all of those things. And so because we live in a fallen and broken world, we're battered, we're wounded, and we're in need of healing from that. And we're also complicit in it. Right, We have a sinful nature, so we contribute to the brokenness of this world through our own sin, and we need redemption from that. And oftentimes, as we think about the gospel and why Jesus come, we, we highlight this reality that what we need is redemption. We need Jesus to make bad people into good people through forgiving them of their sins. And that is the gospel, but we also see this reality that when Jesus came, he also announced that he was here to heal, and he was here to wipe tears away from eyes, and he was here to make us whole, to redeem us from our sin and heal us from our wounds living in a broken world. And it's that reality that we're going to drill into today in Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. And so so today, the the second reason that we're going to talk about why Jesus became like us in every way is this, so that he, Jesus, could sympathetically help us when we're feeling tempted and when we're struggling in life. The second reason why Jesus became like us in every way is so that he could sympathetically help us when we are feeling tempted and when we are struggling in life. Talking about our impression of God, I'm just curious if you were to take a second and close your eyes and imagine when you're struggling, when you're feeling tempted to sin or not trust God, when you're crying out to God for help, what is your impression of God's disposition towards you in those moments? When you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're feeling tempted to do something you shouldn't do, and you go to God, what is your impression of God's disposition towards you in those moments? I think today's text is going to give us the right answer to that question. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter, I'm going I'm to start us in chapter 2, what we just read, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 4. So Hebrews 2, just look at verse 17 and 18. We just read this. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Verse 18. For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jump over to chapter four. Look at verses 14 to 16 with me. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in Every respect, same phrase from uh, verse 17, chapter two, where he says he's like us in every respect. Well, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Real quick, four things we learn about Jesus in this text, number one, we learn, is that Jesus is God. I mean, Hebrews, the book, is very clear to us that Jesus is God. We read that in chapter, I'm sorry, uh, 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, so he's come to us from heaven itself, Jesus, the Son of God. And so Jesus is the Son of God who has existed for all of eternity. Jesus is God. The second thing that we learn about Jesus is that he became human. We read that in chapter 2, verse 17, that Jesus became like us in every way. And we talked about this last week, right? The hypostatic union of Jesus, that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% human, fully human. The third thing we learn about Jesus is that he was tempted I don't know about you, but that's challenging for me to think about. And not only does the Bible say he was tempted, it says that he was tempted in every respect. So in every way you have felt temptation, Jesus has felt that. We're going to get to that in just a second. And the last thing that we learn about Jesus in verse 15 in chapter four is that he was without sin. So Jesus was tempted in every way that you have been, yet without sin. And so in future Advent sermons, next week and the week after, we're going to drill more into what we mean by without sin. Why is that important? But, but this morning, what I want to drill into is, what does it mean that he was tempted? And why is that important to us? And why is that important to the gospel three things this morning that I want to affirm to you about Jesus as we think about this reality. And as we go through these three things that I want to affirm to you, I just want you to test this against your impression of God. Are the things that we're about to talk about, do they match how you imagine God's disposition towards you? First thing that I want to affirm to you from our text The first one is this, that that life is hard. Life is hard. You will, you have, and you will experience hardship in life. Our text implies that Jesus went through hard things. And because he went through those hard things, he experienced temptation in the midst of them. That's what our text implies. And so I want to think through that a little bit more. And so to do that, let's, let's rewind a bit in the book of Hebrews. So if you go to chapter 3, I want to read a few verses in, in Hebrews chapter 3 to help you understand the argument that the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to build in this text as he is talking about Jesus. And so I want to read with you Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 19. This is going to help us to understand what is temptation. What is temptation and how can you be tempted and yet be without sin? as what the text says about Jesus. Hebrews 3, look at verse 12. It says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, quoting Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What rebellion? Keep going. Verse 16, he's going to explain. For who were those who heard the word of God and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, So we see that they were unable to enter the rest, I'll explain this, because of unbelief. Okay, just pause here for a second. Here's what's going on. God promises us that he has eternal rest for us. Right. Like we said, we're, we're battered and complicit in this broken world. And he promises healing and redemption and rest in God's kingdom for all of eternity. And this reality, right, is foreshadowed by the Exodus. So God's people, the Israelites, they're in slavery in Egypt, suffering. And God, through Moses, right, rescues them, leads them out and into the wilderness. But what were they doing in the wilderness? They were making their way to the promised land. This was their idea of rest a land that would belong to them where God would be their king and he would overwatch them and and they would be safe. And so what happens, what he's talking about here in Hebrews is that God's promises this rest for his people. But through the hardship of life, his people have not trusted in him, but trusted in themselves. And that's what the Israelites did. As they were wandering through the wilderness Knowing that God has promised them this rest, they didn't trust God. They complained against God. They turned away from God. They didn't follow God's word. And so this right here teaches us a little bit about what temptation is, right? Life is hard. We will experience hard things and suffering in this life. And what that's going to create in us is a longing for what? Rest. A longing for things to be better, a longing for things to be more comfortable, a longing for all kinds of things. And so when we experience that longing, here's the question. Are we going to trust God in what God says or are we going to trust in ourselves or in what we think would be best? And so the writer of Hebrews in chapter three uses the Israelites as an example. When things got hard, they didn't trust in God, they trusted in themselves. So temptation is when I'm experiencing longing for something better than what I'm experiencing, am I gonna trust God for this or am I gonna trust in myself for this? And so we can name any example of things that we experience in life and ask this question. Right. Let's say that you've had a relationship go south, and you are just feeling angry, and you have a longing in you for vengeance, or at least a longing in you for them to see what they've done and to acknowledge that, right? You have a longing for, for justice. That's not a bad longing, but the longing is going to introduce a temptation. In that longing, are you going to trust God's word, or are you going to trust yourself and what you would like to see done, Right? It doesn't matter. Fill in the blank, right? Life is hard. We would like for things to be different. Fill in whatever your blank that produces a longing, which produces a temptation. Who are we going to trust in this moment? So if you go back to Hebrews chapter four, building on this argument, look at verse 11. Hebrews four, verse 11. The writer says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul. And of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How do we trust God when things are hard? How do we strive to enter the rest that God has promised us? It is through trusting in God's word. God has given us his word so that we know how to live and he calls us to trust in it, all right? So, so here's number one, life is hard. God has promised us rest in the gospel, but for right now, while we wait for Christ to return and to bring us into that rest, we are going to experience temptation. Are we gonna trust God in that temptation or are we gonna trust ourselves? That's number one. Number two, Jesus felt all of that. Jesus felt every one of those longings. Those longings produced inside of Jesus, the same temptation, and yet he was without sin. Jesus felt all of that. The text leads right into it. Verse 15, chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to live in this broken world, to feel the longings that come along with it, the temptations that come along with it. I don't know of any way to interpret this other than Jesus can sympathize with you in the midst of your temptations. Jesus can sympathize with the Israelites as they're wandering through the desert longing for something different. Wondering, should I trust God in this or should I not trust God in this? What what am I going to do? I, I don't know any other way to get around what this text is saying. Yet he was without sin throughout the entire thing. So to wrap our heads around that, fortunately, I think we have an account in the Gospels that's gonna help us. Go to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're gonna read verses uh, 32 through 39. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're hours before Jesus is gonna go be crucified on the cross. Jesus knows what is coming. And Jesus He's afraid. He's anxious. This is impacting Jesus. We're now in a moment where life is hard, and Jesus has a longing, and with that longing comes a temptation. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 32 to 34 real quick. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Okay, real quick. Jesus is experiencing hardship. All right, there's three words that were used to describe what is going on inside of Jesus. Right? The, the first word, I'm going to put them on here for the screen for you. The three Greek words that are used to describe what Jesus is going through right here. The first one is ekthombeo, which essentially means intense emotional reaction. So this can be positive or negative. In this text, it's negative. But positive would mean like excitement. Like I'm just, I have the jitters of excitement. Negative would mean Terror like that that feeling when your stomach gets tight and the blood drains out of your head and you feel a little cold and it's white, like terror. That's what this word means. Intense emotional reaction. So this is what's going on inside of Jesus. The second word we get, right, is adameo, which just means anxious. So Jesus is saying, I am troubled, right? I am terrified and I'm anxious. And then he uses the word That's where we get the word peril, which basically means deeply grieved to the point of death. Deeply grieved. So these are the words that Jesus used to describe his emotional state in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is experiencing deep hardship right now. So with that said, keep going. Verse 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. That if it were possible, there could be a different way to accomplish what he's about to accomplish for us. I, I think what we're observing in the text is deep longing and a temptation. And if you're like, man, I don't know know where you're going with this, Alan. I'm just reading the Bible. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So, We see, I mean, I just want you to feel his distress, and I want you to feel his longing, and I want you to feel his temptation. He has experienced it in every way that you have. 37 to 39. And he came and found uh, them, James, Peter, and John, sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. What Jesus is saying is he's saying to Peter, you have to pray because right now there's temptation. The temptation is to trust in ourselves over and trusting in God and what God's will is and what God's word says. The flesh is weak. Jesus has weak flesh on And he feels it. The flesh is weak. And so we need the power of the Spirit to be strong in this moment. And that's what he is encouraging Peter to do. Jesus knows what it feels like to live with these longings, these temptations. And here's my question for the morning is this. Why is that good news? Why is it good news that Jesus has felt these same temptations and longings that you have felt them? Like, theologically speaking, I'm not sure those temptations were required for him to be able to save you from your sin. Jesus' righteousness is required. Him being without sin is required. Him being the perfect spotless lamb who would offer himself on the cross as a Verse 17, chapter two said this, a propitiation for your sins. That's a really big word for him standing in your place, taking on God's wrath so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus' righteousness was required for him to save you from his sin. But why did he allow himself to be tempted? Why is that good news? Number three that I wanna affirm to you. I think this is good news. Because he says you can come to him for help. You can come to him for help. Because he understands. He understands what you have gone through. He understands the longings that you feel. He understands the temptations that you feel. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my wife this morning, early. And last night... We, uh, uh, my wife runs this amazing nonprofit called Foster the Family. It serves foster adoptive kinship families here in the area. And we threw, some of you were there, uh, a big winter wonderland party yesterday. Like 400 people came. It was awesome. Hundreds of foster and adoptive kids were there just to have fun together. It was amazing. And so her and I were chatting early this morning, just debriefing, talking about how it went. And one of the things she mentioned to me is she said, you know what? What I love that, why I love that community, why I love being with those people is because everyone there largely has children who are in foster care or adopted. And because of that reality, some of them, not all, but some of them have really challenging, complex stories and behaviors. And she said, and so being in that community because everyone understands, Right? I feel safe because everyone understands. I feel like I don't have to apologize for the ways in which I've experienced that, that that people, when they come into this space, they don't have to apologize for maybe the behaviors that are on display because everyone gets it. So you can just kind of let go a little bit because they all understand. And here's the reality. Jesus understands what you have gone through because he has lived it. That's what the text is saying to you this morning. Now, listen, there are some theologians who will say, pastors that I have heard say, that in that moment in Gethsemane, Jesus didn't fear and he didn't experience anxiety because in Matthew 6, Jesus commands you not to fear or feel anxiety. As if that's a command to you that's akin to do not steal and not an encouragement as a father saying, you don't have to be afraid, I'm with you. There's some who will say Jesus didn't feel that anxiety. And and that's why I completely disagree. That's why I went through all those Greek words because I want you to see, no, this is what the Bible is saying Jesus felt. And here's the reality. God's not gonna command you not to feel anything. He's not gonna command you, don't feel this. You know, if you're in the middle of, you know, if you're you're driving along the road and all of a sudden you you know someone slams on their brakes, he's not gonna command you, your heart rate better not elevate in that moment. You better not shake. You better not have some word fly out of your mouth in the middle of that moment. He's not gonna command you to do that. It's not how you're built. But in the middle of fear and anxiety and longing and temptation, all of that, what he's saying is, no, 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 but listen, I want to be the one you run to in those moments. You don't have to be afraid generally because I'm here with you. This is what's saying. I want you to trust my word, not your word. In those moments, I want you to be one that helps you. Come to me for help. If we go to our text Again, one more time, just just look at Hebrews 2, 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to what? Help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, or just look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace, what? To help in the time of of need. Jesus wants to help us. And if you look a little deeper there at verse 16, what does it say? Come to me for help. What does he say? With confidence. With confidence. That's the Greek word parousia, which, which essentially means speak plainly. Right? The, the, the example in my head when I think of this is, you know, like a, a soldier going to his commanding officer. Right and uh, sir, uh, permission to speak freely. Granted, what's on your mind? And they're just like, okay, I don't have to be all dressed up. I don't have to present this, you know, case. No, I'm that. That's what the word says. Speak plainly. Come to the throne of grace. Tell me what's on your mind. Do what Jesus did. Father, is there any way to do it different? Isn't it interesting that that request from Jesus to the Father was not irreverent. It wasn't irreverent. It was not sin for him to make that request. But in that moment, right, what does he do? He trusts God and he trusts his word. He went to God the Father for help because he understands. And so there's a difference between going to God for help with confidence and going to God for help With shame. When we go to God for help with confidence, right? It's knowing that he can receive what we're going through. He can understand and his word is sufficient and able to guide us through it. But to go with shame means that we believe that God is disgusted or annoyed or frustrated at us for feeling the things that we are feeling. And the text is making a clear-cut case this morning that that is not God's disposition towards you, that you honor him. You are being reverent when you go to him for help in the midst of your temptation and struggle. You don't have to dress it up. You know, I think the best way for us to practice going to Jesus for help in the midst of these longings and temptations Is by doing this with one another. You know, my question for us is are we a community of people? who have the self-awareness to know that we all face temptations, we all face longings, we all face struggles, we all have moments where we trust God in the midst of those temptations, and we all have moments where we don't trust God in those midst of those temptations. And because we have the self-awareness to know that, we can be a community that sympathizes with one another in the midst of all of it. And we can be a community that points each other to God's word and points each other to Jesus for help in the midst of it, because we're all there. It's kind of like the party last night that my wife was reflecting on, right? Are we a community where when people come in, they go, yeah, I get it. And not a community where we make assumptions about each other or we judge one another. Are we a community that says, here, you're free to struggle. You're free to be tempted. You're free to have those longings and we're gonna go together to the throne of grace for help. Because if we're a community that, is able to sympathize with one another and point to God's word, then we are going to make it easier for every one of us to believe that that is God's attitude towards us. But if we are a community that does not do that, we make assumptions, we read into things, we judge, silent treatment, we distance ourselves, click, you know, all these things. If that's the reality, then we actually paint a picture of God that he's ashamed of us. And that's not what the text has said this morning. And go ahead and invite the band. If you guys want to come up, you can. And just in closing, I just want to ask, is this the impression you have of God? Is this the impression you have of Jesus? Someone who has experienced everything you have and therefore can help you in the time of need. And he invites you to come to him with confidence to do that. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came and became like us in every way so that he could help us in these moments. So here's my challenge for you this week is I gave you another Advent devotional. And uh, what I'd like for you to do, they're very short, just every day. These should have been in your bulletin. Um, Every day, I just want you to read the, the, the few verses that are assigned for the day. And either write in a journal or you could just go for a walk and think and meditate on these questions, but just asking, how does this specific scripture encourage you to confidently go to the throne of grace for help when you experience the hard things that life throws at us? So I encourage you this week, spend time in those scriptures and let's meditate together on the reality that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in every way. Let me pray. God, I'm so grateful for the book of Hebrews and I'm so grateful for this glorious truth that Jesus came to be like us in every way. God, I pray for, from last week to this week that you would be doing a work of healing the image that many of us have in our head of you. Would you make the image that we have in our head a biblical image? Would you make the image that we have in our head Jesus, who's the exact imprint of your nature? And God, would you help the image that we have in our head be one that encourages us to run to you for help when tempted? God, we praise you that you have opened up your throne to us. It's no longer curtained off. Through Jesus, it's been torn into, And you now say, I want you to confidently approach for help. May we do that together right now and in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen.